it's a, it's a beautiful building. I was able to go there on Monday uh, and check it out. And actually, some of the murals that you see in the inside, uh, the shirt that Pastor Matt was wearing with that heart, um, our very own, he's no longer here, they moved to Missouri, but Alex Cruz uh, came in and did those beautiful murals. So very, very talented. And it is beautiful. There's so much hope in that area in the Little Village community. I walked in there. You feel like you're in a little Aldi. I mean, it's all set up. It's awesome. It's amazing. And so God is good. And like Anthony said, when we contribute, you know, we're, we're also helping, not just for what's happening in here, not just to keep the doors open in here, but we're also giving portions out to go on ahead and serve uh, the, the communities and just the, uh, the people of God, and it's just amazing because we're able to help staff people. Because when you have something like this, no, you go from volunteers to now staff members who are dedicated to doing that. So praise God for that. Another quick thing that I want to say, based on what Anthony said with the uh, the youth retreat, um, if there is a way, there's ways that you can give to also help that. I know he said someone had mentioned, "Hey, I like to sponsor kids." Well, when you go into our website, when you go to give. Uh, normally you would go to give and you find Mount Clare and you go to general fund on there on that drop down menu there should be something that says uh, youth retreat or youth sponsorship one of those two you can actually go there and you can just give whatever you'd like to give there uh, because that'll go directly to helping sponsor some kids of this location amen all right so let's get started with today's word and I didn't say what I normally say but how many people are excited to be in the house of the Lord today amen I've got my little sayings. I can't go without saying them. This is a uh, prophetic pause that I mentioned that we are going through for 90 weeks. So each location, we're preaching whatever we feel like God is kind of telling us to preach. And uh, last week, I started a series that I titled, What Happens When We Die? And uh, this was a series that a lot of people came up uh, to me afterwards and said, man, this is good. I'm going to be back next week. Amen. So I, I hope that you're ready and in tune for what this week is going to bring. But we were talking about what happens after life on earth, right? We talked about a couple things uh, that really happens. The first and foremost, when, when, when our life ends, when the chapter of our life ends on this earth, the first thing that we know that happens is what, you know, we die. We die. This body dies. It's done. It's over with, right? Then we talked about how our soul separates from the body, and then we talked about judgment, how eventually at some point there is uh, judgment. We talked about the, uh, the, the, the great white throne judgment, that if your name is not in the book of life, then, uh, man, you're in trouble. We talked about um, the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, in which there he would be, it's like the, in, in the Olympics where now the, uh, the judge is giving the awards. They're not judging, hey, how did you do? No, you've already won, won the race. You've already completed and done a great job. Now you would get your reward. We talked about a couple different rewards that we would get. And next week, we're going to be talking about a special message that I planned that I believe that's going to build your faith, is going to relieve some of your fears, is going to give you anticipation for some things that are to come and give you an urgency to live for Jesus Christ today. We're going to talk about what is heaven like. But today, today I want to talk about the righteousness of a holy God and the indescribable horrors of hell. We're talking about what happens after we die. Why talk about hell? 
Some people are going to say, well, while, while we're talking about, well, what are you in church for to begin with then? Because if we don't accept the reality of hell, we will never appreciate the glory of the gospel and the goodness of Jesus. If we don't talk about hell, if we don't have regular conversations like this, then we're not, we're not going to appreciate what it is that Christ has done for us. Amen? So let's go on ahead and let's bow our heads really quickly before we jump into today's message. Father God, I pray and I thank you for this opportunity that you've given us. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would right now ready us as we get prepared to receive of the word that you have for us this morning. God, I pray right now, Father, Lord, that you know that we are all walking in here with tons and tons of distractions in our minds. I pray, Lord, that you would go on ahead and push those distractions to the side for this uh, period that we have here together. I, I pray, Lord, that we would open up our ears to listen to what it is that you have to give us this morning, that you would open up our eyes to see what it is that you want to show us, Lord, that you would soften our hearts to receive what it is that you want to pour into them today, God. I pray, Lord, that we would be ready to receive your word. I pray, Lord, that I will humbly, Father God, be humbled enough to give your word to your church, Lord, and that we would not just be hearers of your word, but that we would be doers. All of this we pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Why are we talking about hell? Some people might say. Some people might be like, man, we're just, I'm just here on earth, and I'm just trying to have a good time. I just want to have fun. The reason why we're talking about, about hell is the same big fault from last week. And if you were taking notes last week, and I strongly encourage that you do so, then you probably remember, because I mentioned it several times, and that is that what you believe about eternity determines how it is that you are going to live today. How or, or what it is that you believe about eternity determines how you leave, live today. And that's why I'm here. I'm trying to talk to you about eternity. I'm not here just to talk to you about love today. I'm not here just to talk to you about loving your neighbor, how to serve. Those are all important things. But I'm, I'm trying to talk to you these three weeks about eternity. Why? Because, like I said, what you believe about eternity determines how you live today. If you believe that you are just an accident, that we are just an accident that just happened with this big boom, that you're going to go nowhere when you die, then why not just live for the now and just live for yourself, right? But if you believe that you were created by a good God for his glory and that when you close your eyes on this side of eternity, you will live somewhere forever and ever and ever and ever then that ought to change the way you live today. What you believe about eternity will determine how you live today. I want to give you just some quick stats on, on what people believe about heaven and hell, okay? 74% of Americans believe in heaven, 74%. However, only four out of every 10 believe that those who do not know Christ will spend eternity in a place called hell. Only four out of ten. Who's going to hell? If you ask the general public, only one half of one percent would say that they are likely going to hell. 
In other words, most people, if they do believe in hell, believe that it's only for the really, 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 really bad people. They believe that hell is, maybe, is, is not maybe, but it is only just for the murderers. The hell is for the rapists. The hell is for the terrorists and such, but probably not me. Not me. That's what a majority of the people believe. Because God would never do that to me. Certainly, I'm not going to go to hell is what a lot of people think. That would just be for the very few. And most of us, we're, we're probably going to be okay. But Jesus says something that might imply otherwise, and I want to bring this to your attention. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus said this. If you have your Bibles with you, or if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Open them up with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. Matthew, chapter 7, verse 13 through 14. This is what Jesus said. Enter through the narrow gate. Everyone say narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many. Everyone say many. Enter through it. Let me read that again. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. In other words, there's a lot of people that are probably on the wrong path, is what we're seeing here, what Jesus is saying. And then he goes on ahead and says in verse 14, he says, but small, everyone say small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few, everyone say few, will find it. This is what Jesus is saying. Think about it. Just think about it. Jesus is saying the wide road is the one that leads to destruction, and a whole bunch of people are on that road. But narrow is the one that leads to, you know, to, 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 to having life eternally with Christ, and only a few Man, if we look at the statistics of what it is that people are saying versus what it is Jesus says is a reality, we're really off. Meaning a hell lot more people are on the road to hell than they believe that they, than th that they are. And as I'm thinking about this, and I think I may have mentioned this before, I gave a study, I, I can't remember exactly when, a couple months ago on, on, the, on the different titles of Satan and what his strategies are. But if I, if I were the devil, if I were, uh, were Satan, what would my strategy be for this world? You see, because Satan knows that one day his time is up as well and he himself will be thrown into the lake of fire. Satan knows that that time is coming. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to do what he did in heaven. When, when God sent them down and he took a third of the angels with him, he's trying to grab all of us that he possibly can to drag us down with him. That's what he's trying to do. So again, if I were Satan, what would my strategy be? Well, I would simply try to convince you that there is no hell. You're not going to live right according to the ways that God is telling you to live if you don't believe that there's a hell. And if there is, I would try to convince you, well, don't take it seriously. Because it's only for the really, 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 really bad people. And I try to convince you that, man, not, not that many people are going to go there. 
dude, if I were the devil and I can convince you of that, then you would probably live however it is that you want to live. You would justify your sin, the sin that you struggle with. You'd find a way to justify it. You would reject Christ. You would live with no real fear of God. You are a follower of Christ, and I can convince you that hell isn't real or not that important anyway. You would live ridiculously self-centered lives. You would very likely idolize comfort. You would most likely fall in love with the pleasures of this world. You would reject sacrifice. You would avoid persecution. You would love now and you would like, not most likely, but you probably wouldn't at all share Jesus Christ with anybody. If I can convince you of all these things, you would have no sense of real spiritual urgency. Sadly, much like many of us live today. See, I'm talking about, I'm talking to you like if I can convince you that this didn't exist, most of you would live like this. The reality is some of you guys know about this and are still living this way. This raises an obvious question also for many. I'm going to try to hit everybody's point of view here. If God is so good, if God is a loving God, then why? Why, pastor, is it that hell exists? And it's a very fair question, and it's a question that I believe deserves an answer. And I can give you many, many reasons, but just to keep it simple and to keep this timeline today at a good pace, I'm going to just give you two quick reasons that Scripture teaches us that hell exists. Two very quick reasons that Scripture teaches us that hell exists. For those of you who say, if God is such a loving God, why does hell exist? The first reason is hell exists for God to deal righteously with Satan. Somebody got to put this boy in place. Hell exists for God to deal righteously with Satan. Many of us, you know, when we think of Satan, and I, I, I say it like, you know, joking around, but uh, we have this, this image, or at least this, the world has this image of, of Satan being this harmless dude in a red suit with a pitchfork and horns and such, right? Being on the shoulder of one person while the angel's on the other. But we need to understand this, church, and that is that the devil is the embodiment of all evil. The devil is the embodiment of all evil. Behind every addiction is our spiritual enemy. Behind all abuse, Every bit of fear, behind all pain, behind all shame, it comes from the prince of darkness. The devil in scripture is called, and we covered some of these, he's called the destroyer. The devil is called the deceiver. He's called the dragon. He's called the dark angel. He's called your adversary. He's called your tempter. He's your enemy. He's the wicked one. He's the thief. He is the father of lies. Satan is called the prince of darkness. He is the angel of the abyss. He is the thief that comes to steal your joy, to kill your faith, to destroy your health, to ruin you financially, to destroy 
your marriage, to destroy and to hurt your children. These are all the missions of Satan. These are all the attributes of the devil. Hell exists, but exists so that God can deal righteously with the devil. John says this in the book of Revelations, chapter 20, verse 10. He says, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is the final resting place of Satan. If you read it, it tells you right in the beginning, and the devil who deceived them. Who? Who did they deceive? Who did he deceive? He's thrown into this lake of fire forever and ever and ever. He understands, he knows this, and he wants to create all the chaos that he possibly can before this happens. I'll talk to you about this. You were made in the image of God. God's given you the ability to have everlasting life with him. Satan don't like that. And he wants to stop that at all costs. And he wants to bring you down with him. But one day, there will be an end to all this evil. One day, when the one who drives the evil will be casted into the lake of fire himself. The second reason why hell exists, the first one is to, take, is to handle the devil. The second reason why hell exists is so that God can deal righteously with unbelievers. Everyone say unbelievers. All those who don't claim Jesus Christ, their Lord and personal Savior, for those that don't believe in God, that those that don't believe that Christ came and he, and he died for our sins, those that don't acknowledge God as our Lord, those that don't believe, that is the unbeliever. And this is where it gets complicated because many people say this, well, that just doesn't seem fair. I mean, my neighbor is not a Christian. My neighbor is not a Christ follower. He doesn't acknowledge Christ. She doesn't acknowledge Christ as her Lord and personal Savior. But, Pastor, my neighbor is a good person. We've all heard this. We've all heard it. God could never send them to hell. I'll go a step further and say, man, but, but my neighbor makes, makes me brownies, and they're really, really good brownies. How can God send a person that makes good brownies to hell? Trying to make light of this conversation here. That God could never send this person to hell. And we're going to come back to that thought. But you know what? What's so interesting to me is this. And that is that almost everybody who would argue against that idea is equally indigenous at any time that there's any injustice on this earth. In other words, there's some uh, type of injustice. Well, most people would say, hey, somebody should pay for that injustice. If somebody hurts you, then somebody says, hey, somebody needs to pay for that injustice, right? But yet, the very same people who are defenders of justice here on earth often argue for a God of love, of mercy, a God of grace without any justice. They want a God with all these good things, but they don't want a God that's going to serve justice. I want you to think about this. People today, 
I would argue, want to remake God into their own image. They want, why do they want to make God into their own image? Because they want to justify their own lifestyles. God is love, right? God is love. So in their mind, they say, so he's just going to kind of just wink a little bit towards my sin. He understands. He's holy and he's righteous and everything. But if you live the way you want to live, in your mind, you can kind of create God to be a God that says, yeah, it's okay. It's okay, my son. It's okay, my daughter. You can do whatever it is that you want. I'll just kind of, I'll just look the other way. While you go on ahead and have fun in the playgrounds of sin. Here's what I want, or here's what we have to understand. And this is this, for those people that have that argument about God, and why is it that he, he, he does that? Why does he, why does he send people? Why would he send people to hell? We have to understand that it is impossible for God to be holy without being just. It is impossible for God to be holy without being fair. Hell exists for God to deal righteously for those who are dead in their sins and those that do not know Christ. Scripture says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. It says this, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Verse 9 says, They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out, everyone say shut out, from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. I get it, man. We all know people, love people, maybe it's even us, that don't know Christ. And it's scary. It's no fun to talk about this. I'm sure it's no fun to, to hear about it because we love those people. But if we don't accept the reality of hell, church, we're never going to appreciate the glory of the gospel and the goodness of Jesus Christ. Let me try to give you really quickly here a brief glimpse of hell. And by giving you this brief glimpse of hell, I hope this lights a fire under you to be who God has called you to be. And man, share the living word of Jesus Christ to all those that you know, that you love, even those that you don't know. Because that is our purpose. That is our mission. I want you to, I'm going to take you to the book of Luke chapter 16. Some of you guys may be familiar with the story, and if not, great, because I'm going to kind of try to dissect it a little bit with the time that we have here today. And this is one that I love, I, you know, it, it, it's a powerful word from Jesus and one that helps to describe this, um, you know, what it might be like. But Jesus is telling a story that gives us some insight on, on what it is that hell's going to be like. In Luke chapter 16, verse 19, it says this. Starts off and it says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. It's pretty much what Jesus was saying there as he's saying he was dressed in purple. Purple, people that wore purple most of the time, it implied there were some type of royalty. To have anything in purple at that time meant that you had to have your clothes, um, you know, kind of infused in a very expensive dye. And so Jesus is just really saying this person was really, 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 really wealthy. Verse 20 says this. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. So we pretty much got a rich man, 
and a poor man. It says, At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. What was this man, Lazarus? What was he, what was he hoping to eat? Well, at that time, if you, were, if you were filthy rich, the way that you would wash your hands at the end of the meal, some people would actually go on ahead and take a loaf of bread. And because they were so rich, they would actually cleanse their hands with the bread. Not everybody had access to water. You know, there was no sink with a, with a, with a Dawn, you know, uh, soap to wash your hands or whatever. And sometimes they would have jugs of water. But, but some of the really, really wealthy people, they would just have bread. Loaves of bread, and they would take the loaves of bread, and they would kind of just rub it in their hands like that, and, and it would kind of maybe take or, or absorb maybe some of the oils or whatever it was that was on their fingers, and, and, and by chance, some of those crumbs would actually go on ahead and fall on the floor. And the servant would come, and they would take the crumbs off, and they would go on ahead and feed it to the dogs as an act of mercy and generosity. Now, Lazarus, the beggar, he's out there and, and he's going, please, can I have, even if it's just the crumbs that you use to clean your hands? Just give me something. In his mind, he's like, man, that would be a great blessing to me. Well, as the story continues, we find out that both Lazarus and the rich man, they eventually die. And what happens to them after life here on this earth? And this is where we're going to see a little bit of this picture. Verse 22 says this. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Some people, some translations say Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Verse 23 says, in Hades, where he was in torment. Okay? Let me stop there really, really quickly. The, old, the, the, the poor man dies, and he, go, he, he goes on ahead, and he is now kind of transported to Abraham's bosom, Abraham's side. So this is a portion of waiting in which people are eventually waiting for the judgment, for the call, when everything is going to eventually end, but that's where he's at. But the Bible says that the rich man, the rich man goes on ahead and he dies, and he is in Hades where he was in torment. So some of you guys might briefly be saying, oh, well, that's someone, he went, the, 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 the poor man went to, to heaven, the rich man went to hell. Not yet. Okay, and I'm going to explain a little bit of this. But the main picture that Jesus is painting is that somebody pretty much has died. They have now a relation. They had a relationship with Christ. They're in a good spot. And the other one that didn't is in a bad spot. That's just, just to simply put it that way. Some of us may be saying, hey, what, what is Hades? Well, Hades is the Greek word used in the New Testament that was equivalent to the Old uh, Testament Hebrew word seal. Or shield. That was a place. Whenever you're reading passage in, in Old Testament, you hear sometimes David or some of the or some of the uh, people in, in the Book of Songs where they're like, "Oh, why are you letting me down to this place of uh, of shield?" You know, it, it was this place that was like a holding place before the actual judgment. That quite quite frankly wasn't hell yet, but it was a place that wasn't any good. Hades is the same thing as shield. It's not the same thing as hell, though, because Hades, the Bible says, uh, is eventually a temporary place because after life on earth, before the judgment, that's where those, the people that go that didn't know Christ. 
So according to this, you die, you don't know Christ, you go to a place called Hades. Scripture says that later on, Hades actually is thrown into the lake of fire as well. So Hades, this holding pattern where people who died without knowing Christ will be thrown into that, into the lake of fire, along with Satan himself and the false prophets. So what exactly is Hades? I can't tell you exactly, but what we do know, just so we know, especially if you're taking notes, is some temporary place where those that died without Christ go. And it is a place that evidently you don't want to be. Let's look at uh, Scripture again. In Hades, where the rich man was in torment, right? This is what he says. He looked up and he saw Abraham far away. Who's Abraham? Abraham was in the Old Testament, meaning someone that died now, uh, that, that now was in the presence of or necessarily died being, let's just put in our mind. I'm going to try to make this as simple as, as possible. A believer in God, right? Who God, the God of gods was their Lord, was, was their God. They are in this place. This, this person, now Abraham, had died thousands of years ago. And yet he's in this place, in Abraham's bosom. And now this beggar that just died, but died obviously in Christ, knowing God, is also in this place. It says, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So evidently, we got the rich man in Hades, and there's some kind of chasm where there's a gap. And far away on the other side, you've got something much more pleasant than Hades. You've got what we call Abraham's bosom, and you've got Lazarus. So then the rich man calls out, because he's in Hades, a place of torment. That's this, in my mind, there's this wall, right, that's dividing the two. Far away, he sees, the, the, the rich man sees a place that's not Hades. He sees Abraham. He sees the beggar. But he's in torment. And in verse 24, he says this. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. So we're seeing right away, immediately after they're dead, they're in these places. And the rich man is not feeling good at all. Last week we saw that to a Christian to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Well, for those who are without Christ, to be absent from the body is the beginning of suffering. You think that you're suffering here? Die without Christ, you're really going to know the definition of suffering. When we read about what it will be like, we get a glimpse of what one day will be a place of unspeakable torment. Hell is called in the Bible the fiery furnace. It's called burning sulfur. This is not a part of this, but I just remember when I was younger, and some people would say to, you know, maybe maybe kids among kids there, maybe while we were in Bible school, not Bible school, but in Sunday school, whatever. What, what's hell going to feel like? What's gonna hell, hell going to feel like? Well, I remember one time, there was my mom had a flame. She was cooking, and me being a kid, I stuck my finger in there real quick. And it burned so much, I, I had to take it out. 
And I, I, I would tell people, that's what I was being an evangelist at that young, early age, telling kids at school, that's what hell's going to feel like. But imagine me sticking your hand in there and not letting you pull it back. Hell is a place described where there is weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. You see, we all talk about, we like to talk about the good stuff. Oh, one day we'll be in heaven where there'll be no more tears. Christ will wipe away all our tears, all our suffering, all of our pain. Oh, while some of us are enjoying that, other people are going to be weeping, wailing, and gnashing their teeth for all eternity. Hell appears to be a place of isolation. It's called outer darkness where there's no light. We know for certain that in hell there's no hope. The angel described what will happen to those who are separated from Christ. In Revelation chapter 14, verses 10 through 11, this is what it says. It says, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented, everyone say tormented, with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. I don't know about you, but to me, that sounds horrible. That sounds horrible. The Greek word that's translated as hell uh, here is actually not the word Hades. Remember, Hades, that's a temporary place. The Greek word that's translated as hell is the word Gehema. Gehenna is the Greek word. And this word actually comes from the valley of Hinnom, which was actually a very, very real place. Jesus actually uses this word multiple times when he's reflecting on a real place that was just south of Jerusalem. Some of you guys, if you've studied a little bit, you, you probably are familiar with this, but there was a place in southern Jerusalem where they would burn waste and sewage and, and even flesh. The fire outside of the town continually, it just continued to burn. It was always burning and burning and burning. So they would go on ahead and they would throw dead animals in there. They would throw the dead bodies of criminals. They would throw human waste. The fire was always smoldering with maggots and worms and, and burning flesh. The smell there was beyond sickening. And Jesus kind of used this to sometimes describe certain things, this very real place. And so what is hell? Well, based on the study in Scripture that I see, hell is a nonstop eternal fly, fire with torturous suffering and unending pain. It's the land of no more good. It's the land of, hey, there's no more beauty, no more laughter, no more peace, no more friendship, no more joy, no more hope, and most importantly, no more second chance. When you're there, it's done. Your chances are up. You used all your lives. And that's why, that's why the rich man, he goes on ahead and he cries out from Hades. And he cries out to Father Abraham. And he says in verse 27, I beg you, Father, is what he says. I beg you, I plead with you, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment. That wasn't there up there on the screens, but again, that's verse 27 if you're following with me. 
I beg you, Father. I plead with you. He's telling, he's telling send Lazarus over to talk to my brothers so that they won't come to this place of torment. When I look at that story, I, I see four lessons that are very important to understand. Four lessons from the other side that we need to know. And I'm not spending a lot of time in this. I'm just going to breeze right through it. The first lesson that we see from this that I need you to comprehend, that I believe is a game changer when you understand this, is that the rich man was fully conscious and aware. You see that? rich man didn't die, and all of a sudden, he's just like nothing, doesn't feel anything. The rich man was fully conscious. He knew what was going on. How do you know? He, he knew enough to say, hey, somebody send someone up to my family members and talk to them about Jesus Christ, because I don't want them to be burning here with me. He was aware of what was going on. He was aware that he was in pain. He was aware that, that, that he was in agony. He was aware that he was in so much thirst that he's saying, hey, send Lazarus over here. Have him dip his finger in some water. Dip it in my tongue. He's aware. He has a memory of what's going on on earth, of what he did, of what he didn't do. He's experiencing the real physical pain. Perhaps the worst pain, though, for him may go beyond physical it might be the pain of regret that he couldn't go back. There's so many times in life he had so many chances, but now he couldn't have any more. Probably thinking, man, what else is to come? Know and understand when we die, when we die with, without Christ, that this is our place. This is where we will go. Know and understand based on what the rich man is saying. This is how it's going to feel. Oh, just until you repent. And give your life to Christ again. Oh, you're going to be burning and, and having all this agony just, in, just until you say, oh, sorry, God, I messed up. Please forgive me. No, there's no more of that. That's done. When you're there, you're there for all eternity. God loves you so much. He gives us free will. But he also gives us so many chances until our chances are up. The second lesson we learn very quickly here from the story of this rich man and the beggar is the rich man's eternal destiny was irrevocably fixed. There was nothing that he can do to change where he was. Nothing. It's done. He didn't ask for it. He couldn't reverse what it was. He just recognized that this is what it's going to be like for him. There's nothing. You see, right now, while you're on this side of eternity, when things are not good, you have options. You have a chance to, to turn things around. But once you die, it is done. The third quick lesson, I told you I'm going through these really quickly. The third quick lesson that we learned from this story is the rich man knew that his suffering was just. He knew that his suffering was fair. We're going to get to that point where we're going to know I mean, a lot of us know right now, yeah, man, I'm, I'm messed up. A lot of us know right now, man, I'm not living my life the way I should really be living. But some of us, we try to justify those things, and we try to, we try to say things that, that we try to talk ourselves into thinking other things. Like, yeah, you know what? No, it's not fair. If you'll notice, notice this, the rich man, while he's in Hades, he complained about the pain, right? 
but he never complained about the injustice. He said, this hurts. This is bad. But he, he didn't say, God, this isn't fair. Why'd you put me here? He didn't say that. Evidently, he comes to some sort of realization that he hadn't done what was expected. He hadn't believed what it was that he was supposed to believe. He didn't live the way he was supposed to live while he was here on earth. And so he just accepted the judgment, even though it was very, very painful for him. And the fourth lesson that we learn from this story is the rich man begged and pleaded for someone to help his brothers know Jesus. This is another big one here. Don't wait till it's too late to care about your mama not knowing God. Don't wait until it's too late to care about your, your brothers and your sisters, about them knowing about God, about going to them with that urgency and say, listen, you need to turn your life around. Don't wait till it's too late. Now you have the opportunity. Not later. He says, please, somebody, get back there and tell them about the goodness. Tell them about the grace. Tell them about the beauty. Tell them about the forgiveness that is available to them. We have that opportunity to do that now. Are you doing it? Are you doing it? There are so many people that are on the wide road. And here in this, in this place, this rich man might be saying, man, I thought I was okay, but I wasn't okay. I didn't understand from this perspective everything is now different. Please, somebody go on ahead and tell them. Tell my brothers. Why are we talking about something that is so difficult? Why are we talking about something that's so weighty, so hard to digest, talking about something that is so painful? Because like I said this last week, what we believe about eternity impacts how we live today. If you truly believe what it is that I am telling you today, if you truly believe what it is that Jesus shares with us on what happens when we die, then this ought to change the way you are living today. This ought to change some of the decisions that you make. Maybe, hey, hey Pastor, it's not about me telling my family members, man, I've got to get myself right. Because like I said, if I were the devil, what I would do to try to convince you is that there was that the hell was not real. Or at least tell you that it's not that big of a deal. I would try to convince you, man, no one's really going there. It's a bad place. Yeah, it'll exist, but no one's going there. Everybody's okay. We're probably all going to go to heaven and sing Kumbaya anyways. Don't worry about hell. Because if I could convince you to believe that, then you could easily just live for today, for yourself. Do whatever it is that you want. Justify your sin. Reject Christ. Live with no real fear of God. And if you were a Christian, but yet I could put eternity in the back of your mind and convince you not to take hell seriously, then you can live ridiculously self-centered lives. You'd idolize comfort, like I said in the beginning. You'd reject sacrifice. You'd avoid persecution. You'd fall in love with this world and believe all that really matters is right, right what's in front of you. And you would rarely, if ever, share Jesus Christ with anybody else. Because hell's not real. But if I were the devil and I could convince you that hell really isn't real, 
that you would completely live for today and forget why we are really here. I'm completely aware that maybe some of you uh, watching us online or here, you probably say, man, I don't want to believe in a God like this, though. There's so much, so much suffering now in this world. Why would there continue to be suffering for all eternity? I don't want to believe in a God like this, a God who would send people to hell. That's just so rude. That's so bad. But this is the fundamental breakdown, church, of where our society is today. In fact, this may be the number one root problem and misbelief about our nature and about our God. Because God doesn't send good people to hell. I want you to listen to that. Listen to this. Stay with me here. God doesn't send good people to hell. Pastor, why does God send good people to hell? He doesn't send good people to hell. And I'm going I'm to explain this to you. We have to understand that inherently, by nature, we are not good. If you read the word of God, you will understand that inherently, by nature, we are not good. Why do you think, why do you think the, narrow to the, the path to destruction is so wide? Because it's in our nature. I know it goes against everything that culture teaches us. We've got a good heart, right? No, the reality is our heart is wicked. Oh, we're good people. No, I've lied. I've cheated. I've stolen. And I'm sure you have too at some point of your life. If you for a moment stood in front of the holiness of God, you would recognize the depth of your wickedness. We are not inherently good people. By nature, we inherited a sin nature. We were born, we were already born with that original sin that many of us like to say. We are bent towards sin. Sin attracts us. Sin is like we're fish and someone just dropped a, a, a piece of bait, a, a nice piece of steak on a hook in the water. We know it's on a hook. We know it's going to catch us. But, man, we love it. We're attracted to it. We're attracted to sin. Why do you think there are more people outside than inside the church? You never have to, listen to this, listen to this. You never have to teach a toddler to sin. You don't go, hey, today, toddler, today, my baby, my boy, my girl, we're going to have a selfish lesson. You don't tell them, I'm going to go and I'm going to do, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this toy away from you and I want you to scream, that's mine. You don't have to teach them that. It, they do it automatically. We're sinful. We all have sin. We have to recognize this about God. And that is that God is holy, that God is a God who is just, he is fair, and he cannot be holy without being just. God couldn't be who it is that we pray to if he wasn't a just God. And because he's just, he must punish wrongdoing. God and sin doesn't mix. It's like oil and water. You can shake that bad boy all you want. The oil is going to stay in a big clump anyway. And the water is going to be excessive. But God is just not just. And with this, we're going to be ending. 
God is also love. Love is not just what he does, but love is actually who he is. And so as we close today, I want to read you some verses from Scripture since this was such a tense message. I want you to hear them as I read them to you like if it was the first time you ever heard these Scriptures. And those of you who maybe have never heard them, I want you to embrace them as truth from a holy, just, and loving God. Because yes, there's a hell. Yes, if you don't know Christ, you don't know God, you will go there. You will be in this place of torment. There's no in-between. There's no half and half. There's no you're hot or you're cold. There's no lukewarm. You're one or the other. Either you die in Christ or you don't. That's the reality. I know we like to think that everybody's in that better place, but the reality is, according to Jesus, it's that. That's not the case. The road to destruction is wide. The other road is narrow. Many people on that road to destruction, not that many on that narrow path. But I want you to feel the love of your heavenly father because he loves you so much. He doesn't want that for you. He's not some holy God that just sits there and wants to send everybody to hell. We all know this one, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, his one and only son. Listen to this. This God that some people say, how could he be such a cruel God? No, listen. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, his only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Whoever believes in him shall not have to live for all eternity in, in hell, but shall have eternal life. He gave up his son. That's how much he loved you, so that you would have the opportunity to live with him for all eternity. In, in the book of Romans, it says, for the wages of sin is death. That's, that's, that's what you're due. That's your payment. The wages of sin, because of the sin that you have in your heart, you deserve total damnation. Because sin and God can't mix. But the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. I think the more we can get to that point where we realize that, the more we'll be more open to changing. And some of us, we walk around too proud with our chest puffed up like our farts don't stink. Try and get the message across. Stay with me. But in reality, man, there's a lot of bad in us. And because of that, we, des we, we deserve death. But listen, God loves you so much. God is a just God. God is a merciful God, that the gift, of, the gift of God from his goodness, his love is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You deserve death. I deserve death. But he loves us so much, he created a way, he created a path that we can go on ahead, being the sinners that we are, be forgiven of that sin because of what he did on the cross, and have eternal life with a holy God. How did God show his love? God showed his great love for us by sending Jesus Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we still rejected him. Think about everything. I'm saying we, but think about what people did even while Christ came here. 
God sent Christ to us. Even while we were still sinners, while we rejected him, while we didn't know him, while we were spitting in his face. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Jesus Christ, he will certainly now save us from God's condemnation. There is a place, but God wants to save you from there. And he's already created the act. It has happened. What did Jesus' death and the resurrection do? It paid a price for our sins, satisfying God's justice and simultaneously displaying his amazing grace and unquenchable love. Jesus said this. Listen to this. He said, if a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them gets away, he will leave the 99 to go after the other. That's how good he is. Some of you, you need to understand that he's coming after you. And not necessarily in judgment, but in love. He desires that no one would perish. Did you know that? In the Bible, we see that he desires that no one would perish. God desires that no one would be on that wide path of destruction. That's what he wants. Because we're his children. But as parents, we know that children don't always follow in the ways that we direct them. We don't want bad for our children. We don't want harm for our children. We want what's best for them. And he is the same. He desires that no one would perish so much that he sent his son. No one loves more than that, the Bible says, than to lay down their lives for those that they do not know. Jesus didn't come for the perfect, like Anthony was saying. Jesus didn't come for the perfect. He came for the sinner. Jesus didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. Listen, y'all ought to be excited because some of us ain't wealthy and some of us are sick. That's who Jesus came for. The lesser of these. You know Satan? Satan is a thief. Satan is a liar. Scripture says the thief comes to only steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they would have life to the full. That's why we want people to know him, right? Not just to avoid the horrors of hell. Yeah, the reality is, yes, no one wants, I don't want to go to hell. And I would hope that you would think that your family members and friends that, that don't know Christ, they don't want to go to hell either. But, the, but one of the reasons why we ought to be talking to them about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is not just to avoid the horrors of hell, but to experience the grace, the, the, the goodness, the power, the love, the mercy, the holiness, the righteousness, and the love of a good, merciful God. So why do we talk about hell? Because what you believe about eternity affects how you live today. And if you don't understand the horrors of hell, we'll never truly appreciate the goodness and the grace of the price that God paid by sending his son that we would have eternal life. Amen? If we don't understand how bad it is, 
if we don't recognize that, if we don't talk about that, you, don't, you won't appreciate what it is that God has done for you. It's just another story. It's just another story that we like to talk about once a year. Jesus coming, dying, twice a year. He comes on Christmas, he dies on Easter, or Good Friday. No, let us talk, let us be reminded of hell. Let us be reminded that it is a very real place. Let us be reminded that when you close your eyes, that every second right now, someone in this world is dying. And either they know Christ or they don't. According to scriptures, either they're going to go to this place, this paradise in which Jesus has said, hey, listen, today you will be with me in paradise until we wait for the final judgment, or they're in Hades. One of the two, it's a 50-50. So make sure that you know that when you close your eyes for all eternity on this side, or when you close your eyes on this side of eternity, and make sure you know that you've set yourself in a good place. You've set your faith on Jesus Christ. You don't have to have, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. You're still going to mess up. But you place your faith in Jesus and say, Jesus, thank you for redeeming me. Jesus, thank you for giving me the strength to realize that I've messed up. Now let me get back up and continue to walk towards what you want me to walk towards. It's either that. Or you'll be in Hades saying, somebody, can you throw some water on my tongue? Because this is horrible down here. Somebody, can you please tell my mother, my brother, my father, my sister, my goddaughter, whatever it is, can you please tell them that this is a real place to please give their faith to Jesus Christ, to live their life according to his ways? It's only one of the two. So make sure you know your position. Once you know your position, it just doesn't stop there. But, don't, but just like this brother is trying to say, hey, someone go up there, you start doing that now. Start ringing the alarms. You love them that much, start sharing your faith to them. Listen, what they do with that is on them. What, what they do with that is on them. But at least you are a son and a daughter of Jesus Christ. You know the truth. Your job is to tell them the truth. Amen? Let's all stand to our feet. Let's close our eyes right where you're at. Just meditate there in the, on the Lord. But I want to just give the opportunity if someone's watching this on, uh, online, and maybe you're going to watch this and you're not even watching it live. Maybe someone's going to, who's listening to my voice right now, is going to listen to this a few days later, a few hours later. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you haven't made that decision to allow him to be your Lord and Savior, listen, I, don't ha I hope that you would understand by now where your eternal home is. And I want to give you an opportunity to change that. So however it is, send us an email, a message, whatever the case is, let us know. I want to make that decision. And I will see that, and I will, we will contact you. And we'll make sure that we help get you on the right path. But maybe you're here today with every head bowed and every eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you say, hey, I want to make, I need to make that decision. Maybe you've made the decision. Praise God. And you just need, and you're probably saying to yourself, man, I, but I, but I got to do better. It's not about works, but, but, but you know and you understand what Christ has done for you. So you're saying, I've got to be a better Christ follower. I got to be, I got to be more and more like him. And, and I've got to share this good news. 
that's you, pray right now that God will give you the boldness and the strength to, and the words to share your faith with others. But if you're here today and you haven't made that decision yet, you haven't accepted Jesus Christ in your, in your heart as your Lord and as your personal Savior, then right there where you're at, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to lift your hands up right where you're at with every head bowed, every eyes closed. Just lift your hands so we can pray for you and we can help straighten your path. So that you know that when, if your life ended right now, you would know, hey, I've given my life to Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's you. If you're standing there today, I want you just to simply, I don't want to put you on the spot. I want you to simply repeat. Just repeat this prayer. It's not about the prayer, but it's about you saying and confessing it. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you came down from heaven and you walked this earth. That you died on a cross. You were crucified. But God rose you from the dead three days later. And the blood that you had shed on that cross was the atonement for my sins. That that, that, that the sins that I carry, that you have already paid the ultimate price for me. And now I am a new creation. Now I am no longer the Lord of my life, but you are the Lord of my life. Help me walk in your ways. Help me be someone who displays your love. Teach me to be your child. Today, I've given my life to you. Jesus Christ. If you've prayed that prayer, the Bible says it doesn't have to be exact, but that if you acknowledge with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died, that he, he rose, he died for our sins, if you believe in him that now you have a new life, you are a new creation, now your name is written in that book of life, that will be that book would be open one day in the the judgment of the white throne. Your name is on there, then you know that you will live eternally with Jesus Christ. If you've made that decision, I applaud you. I'm so happy for you. It's the best decision you've made in your life. Father God, we pray right now as we get ready to dismiss, Lord, that you would be with your church. Lord, this word that we receive today, may we never forget it. Even if we only remember that hell is a real place, And that you've provided a way to avoid it. Lord, I pray, Lord, that this word will be a word that your church will, will, will hold on to. That we would apply in our lives. That we will live each and every single day knowing this truth. That you would give us the strength. That give us the words, Lord, to share this message with other people, God, that we love. And those that maybe we don't even know. Lord, give us the wisdom. Give us the boldness, God, to be able to do so. As we get dismissed today, I pray for your protection for your church. I thank you for allowing us the opportunity this day to be gathered together under this roof, worshiping you and receiving of your word. I pray, Lord, that you would allow everyone to get home safely. I pray, Lord, that no matter what's on our agenda, work, family outings, whatever the case is, Lord, that you would remind us who it is that you have called us to be as your children. 
you've called us to be the light of the earth. Lord, the, 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 you've called us to be, Father God, the, 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 the salt of the earth, the light of this world. And you called us, Lord, not to blend in with the world, but you've called us to stand out, to reflect your love into this world that so desperately needs to know what real love is. We love you and we praise you. So church, I leave you with this blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you all. May the Lord be gracious unto you. And may the Lord give you peace, his peace that supersedes all understanding. In Jesus' holy, mighty name, the church of Jesus Christ says, amen. Amen and amen. God bless you, church. You are dismissed. We'll see you next week.